If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. And I'm Erin Sadler with Sadler Science. So today we are going to be talking about assessments. Um, we had a question from Marissa. How can you give students assessments without them being able to cheat? And I feel like assessments are kind of a big topic I've seen a lot of questions about, about cheating for one, because of the whole remote learning situation. We can't always control what resources our students have in front of them when they're not in front of us. Um, but also grading, you know, with the additional workload that teachers are under right now, and even just life load, <laughs> um, it makes grading a lot more difficult. So... Definitely. Yeah, I'm feeling that big time. I was, I, I don't know what it is about this week, but like everything's been going really good. And then this last week, it was like a ton of breaks. I don't know what happened, but it just came crashing down. No. Yeah. yeah. It, it must be like that October thing. I feel like even during just a typical year, October is just, I don't know. It's always been, I always just remember hearing and I, I don't even remember. Everything kind of blurs together, yeah. for, like in my memories. But I just always remember hearing like October is a bad month. Like October is like the hard month, the longest month, the the toughest month. You know, yeah. it's the most <laughs> number of calendar days that we have. And then also, I think that it's just like a mental. Like we negotiated for a contract that we were going to be out for the first quarter, and so I think a lot of kids were thinking like we're coming back, and we're not. We're like just got out of the like worst tier, so. Yeah. Um, so I think there's like a mental like, oh, we're still doing this. So I think it's like, I think it's mostly mental, but yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think uh, just a lot of teachers are, you know, at a <laughs> challenging point yeah. and the grading and assessments is it's definitely a another challenging point on top of that. So yeah. I think, you know, one thing to consider, I think, first of all, is just the whole purpose of like the assessment and and the role of your assessment. Like you don't need to have an assessment for like every single thing that we're, you know, ev like every single um, 
I guess I, I don't want to say like don't ever assess your students, but I think there's a, a greater role for formative assessments right. that don't that don't even have to be like this is a point thing or this is the thing we're turning in. It can be more like a conversation. It could be a quick answer to something. And maybe you still give it points. Right. But I think that, um, we can put more of an emphasis on formative, which can take the load off of I need to put everything on my summative assessment because you have shown our students have shown over time you know, a growing understanding based on like their formative assessments. Yeah. I'm sorry about that noise. My daughter's watering outside. Did you hear that? Like, funny noise. I was like, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that we're still, a lot of the teachers are still in that mindset where we have to, like, we're looking just at the content and we have to have a question for each like piece of knowledge that the students should have so that we can make sure that they understand all of the things, but everything that we're doing, we should be assessing things three-dimensionally. So you like, they shouldn't, you shouldn't just be testing them on like content without, you know, any type of skill or anything like that. It has to be, you know, like a more rounded approach and it's, you can't really write like questions for that. Like, you know, like you can't write like multiple choice questions or something like that, but we know multiple choice questions are like terrible at assessing, um, but yeah. And that I think though, when we, when we rethink about our mindset about like what your assessment should look like and like what we're assessing when we get away from, I need to make sure to know every single piece of content here. I think it all, it takes some of the load off of the grading because you're not going to have 50 questions on your, you know, final summative assessment. You're going to have maybe five, maybe it's, maybe it's just one task you know, like one written task, one project, one explanation, one model, one analysis of a set of data and a couple follow-up questions. Um, And that, I mean, it's a lot easier to grade that than trying to grade like 50 multiple choice questions. And it's also a lot harder to cheat on. Right. To cheat on a multiple. And even just creating that assessment is a lot easier than creating 50 multiple choice questions. Because even though those are like, I mean, they're just, they're not hard to create, I guess. They're just, they just take a long time to like write the question for every single, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that, um, I don't know, one of the things that I'm really focusing on this year is just this like idea of, is it Googleable? Because the thing is our kids have cell phones in their back pocket where they can Google any piece of content knowledge. Like we don't need to like they know the answers to the questions because they can just Google it. So it's not about that. And so if your questions are Googleable, are you really assessing what you want to assess? That is so true. So that's one thing that's kind of interesting with, I mean, just this whole COVID situation, we've kind of been pushing, I feel like educators to move away from Googleable things, mm-hmm. like moving away from just content, but like, Remote teaching is forcing teachers to move away from Googleable content because there's no, because of cheat. I mean, yeah, if a student can Google it, you don't know if they Googled it or if they knew it, but if they did Google, like, who cares? Like you said, everybody has one in their back pocket. It's like, who cares if they can Google it? We want to know, do they understand what they Googled? Mm -hmm. And that's, you're going to ask a different question to, to figure out if they understood it. Um, you know, you're going to ask them to apply. And that's where your phenomenon, you know, comes in. So that's where you are 
you know, how can you give students an assessment without them being able to cheat? My first recommendation is just start with actually applying it to a phenomenon. That's what I was just going to say that you've read my mind. I was going <laughs> to say, is, are you, do you have a phenomenon for your, um, for your assessment? Because one of the things that I'm seeing is, is that my students are trying to Google it and it doesn't match the phenomenon. And it's very apparent that they're Googling the answer and that they're not actually applying their content knowledge. Yeah. Cause even if they Google, if you are doing, I don't know, doing something with the water cycle, even if they Google the entire water cycle, if they, if they can just even reiterate that back to you, it doesn't really show that they understand it until they go and apply it to whatever phenomenon you've given them. And if they've Googled it and then they've applied it, well, okay, then they do understand it because right. they had to take that information and manipulate it and like explain how it applies here and use it to explain or to predict or whatever. So, hey, who cares that they Googled it because they still are showing they truly actually understand it. Yeah, definitely. But and I think, I don't know, one of the things that we've been doing um one of my first assessments was a CER paragraph. And like, we've talked about how CERs are like problematic and all of that, but it's, yeah. I think it's a good, um, like it's a good starting point to assess their writing and understand their, you know, like their content knowledge and all of that kind of stuff. So um, one of the things that I did was give them a bunch of evidence and ask them to apply it to, you know, like to this, um, this particular phenomenon. And they were pulling evidence out from all kinds of, you know, weird places that they were just because they were Googling and it didn't apply at all. And it just yeah. was very like, it was a really good conversation to have because I think that these particular students are so used to like having that phone in their back pocket and being able to get that answer that they don't understand the importance of being able to like figure things out, like to be able to like understand things and apply things. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's like an interesting thing too with, um, and we're kind of diverging a little bit with yeah, CEO, but, um, but no, with, with evidence and it's not just about how I think with CER, we all, a lot of times get stuck with like how the evidence supports the claim, but even just having our students understand what evidence is relevant mm -hmm. to the claim and not all of it is and deciphering. You know, so that kind of comes in with, even with the Google, there's actually not, I feel like having students go to Google is not necessarily a bad thing because it's gonna, they still need to know the skills to identify which content is relevant when you're taking it that step further to, you know, like you said, applying it to the phenomenon. Definitely. Well, and I think that one of the things, one of the reasons that kids are having that issue is because that really like looking at which evidence applies to the claim is really more in that third through fifth grade bands for, you know, the science and engineering practices. And we know that they're not getting that in third through fifth grade as much as we would like. So, um, so I think also like your assessments have to also take into account like previous grade level bands and all of that kind of stuff. So you, you really see where students are. Yeah, I think, um, and so, you know, for the teacher who's like, well, my students don't have that. I think that's where it comes in during the actual learning, um, like cycle during the instructional sequence, you know, when you think about your assessment at the end, your students really should be doing some of those things during the sequence. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. You know, you have your anchor phenomenon and we don't really want to use the anchor phenomenon in the final assessment mm -hmm. usually because, you know, you're, kind of, you're working out the answer together. But so you want to give them a new phenomenon to shoot, mm -hmm. really show that they've like understood and have trans can transfer that knowledge and apply it to something new. But I always think it's a really good practice to to basically do the assessment 
whatever, you know, if you're going to ask them to build a model, if you're going to ask them to do a CER, um, some sort of version of that, you know, do that with the anchor. So like kind of bring it full circle and it's almost like a practice, practice mm-hmm. assessment um, so that they, that you've kind of worked through that missing skill or piece with them actually during the learning process. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think a lot of us though are, um, are trying to like cut the formative assessment piece, I think not intentionally, like to save time. I think a lot of people are feeling, I'm hearing a lot of people talking about their pacing and how it's so off. And so I think that a lot of people are ignoring that formative piece kind of accidentally on purpose because they are trying to save time. And I think that it's really important that we don't do that. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, See, formative really should be part of like the learning. Like it doesn't really have to be a separate assignment or separate activity. It's like really happening during the activity. It's looking at how the student responds to this question or that question or, um, or it's like the practice of, you know, yeah, applying it to this next phenomenon, which I guess is a separate activity, but it's also, they need that practice, right? They, even in, um, even in a classroom where they're exploring and discovering and, and figuring out these ideas, they still need, they still need to practice and see the information again and again to like reinforce those little trails in their brains. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've like done some different like little workshops and things where it talks about like the brain science. And every time you make a new connection in your brain, it's like you create like a little trail in the forest and if you just go over the trail one time, you barely see it. But if you go over it again and again and again, well, that's how it becomes like a permanent trail. Well, our students need to go over it again and again, applying it to, you know, the same content to a new situation and seeing it in different shapes and forms. And and so that that formative transfer and that practice are all ways of formatively assessing and also ways of practicing. So like you've said, even though it seems like I'm not keeping up with my pacing, your students are not necessarily going to be retaining the information you've taught if you're not, if you're not spending that time. Yeah, definitely. I know it's hard because you're like, I need to keep up, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't. Yeah. Like maybe you don't. I mean, is it better to just rush through and have them at the end of the year, not remember anything? Or is it better to just say, Hey, I'm not going to be able to keep up with my pacing, but my students are actually going to learn like this chunk of the content and they're going to remember it. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think the remember it, I, I totally, but I know some administrators might say, no, just rush through and maybe some of it'll stick. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. We're definitely, I'm not not on that board. Um, I'm not on that boat. I'm on the, I'd rather have them learn it well. Yeah. No, me too. Me too. But I also think that like, um, teachers are struggling with the formative assessment piece because, the expectation is that they have to provide feedback. And so um, like a lot of what I'm hearing from um, my peers and, you know, is that the grading piece is really what's bogging teachers down right now. So um, also now we're totally getting off on a tangent, but, um, but like having feedback is part of like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Like having students work with each other to like, um, to provide feedback to each other as often as possible is really important so that you're not the only person who's in charge of that, um, 
of that providing feedback because it is overwhelming because you can't just like sit down with a kid, you know, like most of us aren't in the classroom or we're in a hybrid situation or something like that. So you can't just be like, oh yeah, hey, you know, like work on this. You have to, you know, like provide written feedback or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. That's true. Yeah. You think that, is it any easier to provide like audio feedback, you know, like a, I don't know, like Flipgrid, you can like send audio messages. I mean, is that like a time saver, do you think, in terms of providing feedback? Not um, so much like pr- having students provide um, audio messages, because I could see how that could like add time because you have to listen to everybody's work reading. Sometimes you can scan quicker. But um, but sometimes just like not having to type out every answer, you can just send quick messages back. I wonder if that is a way to kind of reduce even, even just giving feedback on like a whole assessment. I wonder if that might be a tool, like I can give you your grade, but then here's my audio message with my thoughts on your, your grade. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of platforms that allow you to do that. And I'm pretty sure there's a Google extension too. So if that's something that works for you, I think that that's really good, but I actually have had, um, we did our Flipgrid assignment that I talked about in a previous episode. And um, I use like sentence frames and like a a lot of scaffolding and had students evaluate each other and not like in a, like a grading way, just like providing feedback and, you know, like having them ask each other questions like, Hey, I really understood this, but I didn't understand this. Can you elaborate? Um, Things like that. And they did an amazing job. I was shocked. I was like, I, I was kind of thinking that it would just more be beneficial for the kids to see other people's responses. But I think that, that the, that the response, like the, the feedback that they gave to their peers was actually really, really good and helped their peer as well. And I was not really expecting that I was expecting it to. Yeah. And so you outlined in the previous episode, it was it last week's episode, how you went through that process, like how you um, went through that assignment. Oh yeah. I did talk like about it. They want to go, if they want to go back and listen to that or yeah. A previous one, I guess I won't. I don't know if that's last week. Yeah, I think yeah. Um. Okay, awesome. So like, yeah. So did you? So you like taught them how to do that process and everything like that? Yeah, I just I gave them an outline and I did like non-examples, um, because I think that kids really need non-examples. Like, oh, your hair looks really pretty today, or something like that's not relevant. We're not going to have that, you know, be a part of the discussion. Um. So yeah, and they they did a really amazing job, and I'm definitely doing that again. So. That's awesome. And then that takes so much like off of you. See, that is like such a good example of putting ownership like more in their court, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and then it just lightens your load as the teacher. So that's awesome. Well, and not only that, but also like, I can say something a thousand times, but when a kid says it to another kid, it like, you know, it's so like, you know, I'm telling them like, Hey, you know, like, I don't really understand what you mean by this part. But then when a kid says it, it's like so much more meaningful to them. And it like, especially if they happen to give the same feedback that I did, then it's like, Oh, I really did. I really do need to work on this. That's so funny. That's true. Um, Funny story that this made me think of my son is so he's three and he's gone through a little bit of a rough, you know, phase or whatever. And whenever we like say anything to disagree with him or like if he says he wants to do something and we say like, how about we do this instead? It typically results in a lot of emotions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, but like 
him and my daughter, who's almost five, were having a conversation and he suggested playing turtles in this way or something. And she said, no, let's do it this way. And he was just like, okay. And just was fine to go along with it. And my husband just like observed, like if we had said that it would have been a total meltdown, but somehow like when Lila says it, he's just like, okay, that's a great idea. Like I'm going to take your idea. (laughs) You should just like filter all of your things that you want to say to him through her. Like Leo to put his pants on. Yeah. Yeah. Leo, you really need to wear pants today. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. But basically sometimes it does help to come from somebody else. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Well, and I think also like just kind of going back to that, like alternative assessment, like it's not necessarily, doesn't have to be like a a test in the traditional sense. Like Flipgrid was really, really good to, you know, assess students. That was a really great way to assess students. And also um, like, you know, having students create a model, you know, like when, when you incorporate the science and engineering practices, it makes the tests, um, it makes it so that they can't cheat. They have to do their own, you know, something. Right. Yeah. 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 So true. And, and that, I mean, and then that goes just back to the whole, like, what's the point of the assessment? Is it just to give them a task and have them answer a bazillion questions or is it to actually figure out what they know? Because if you can figure it out in a different way, like a flip grid, whatever, or um, like whatever kind of assignment you do with flip grid or a discussion, or, I mean, honestly, even a conversation, if you have a student who's simply like, I don't know, even refuses to show up for class, but you can get them in a meeting with you for um, 20 minutes and you can talk to them about a phenomenon and they can tell you about whatever concepts you're learning. I mean, mm-hmm. can that count as an assessment? Why not? If, they, if they're showing you that they've learned these concepts and proving to you that they can do the, the science practices, like the point of assessment is to see what students know and see what they've learned and see what progress they've made. So like, does it really have to be as one specific way? Yeah, definitely. Sorry, we have all kinds of, the audio on this is going to be terrible. I've had dogs coming in. <laughs> like, like, I don't have my microphone today and I'm like up in, in like my co-working space, which is <laughs> like, okay, but we're downtown. So every once in a while you just get like a vroom from like a motorcycle going by or whatever. <laughs> whatever you have the like ding, ding, ding for my dog's collar. Oh my gosh. Whatever. Yes. Oh, um, <laughs> if you're here for the audio quality, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like probably, well, don't, don't come here for the audio quality. <laughs> We're not professional <laughs> podcasters. <laughs> um, no. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that, I think that COVID is a great time to rethink about everything we do in education. And I've just been telling people, Hey, if it doesn't work out, just blame it on COVID. Like it didn't work out. It's COVID's fault. You know, we had a lot going on and Hey, and Hey, if it does work out, then we're starting new ways of doing things and things and hopefully things that will work better because I think the ways that we were, that we were doing things were not working for the vast majority of our students. Yeah, I totally agree. I was listening to your, the episode that you did where you guys were talking about like special populations and, um, and like talking about how many tests have traditionally been like vocab tests. I'm like, oh yeah, that was totally me. Like every test I gave in biology was probably a vocab test. Yeah. 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 It's not working. It wasn't working. 
we didn't really see that it wasn't working. So I can't really blame anybody, okay. but, but Hey, this is our opportunity to, to do something different. So yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Sounds awesome. good. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today on teaching science in 3d and we'll catch you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Hi everyone, it's Erin. If you're interested in having your question featured on our podcast, go to teachingsciencein3d.com slash questions. You can submit your questions in writing or submit an audio file that we'll feature on the podcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we would appreciate it so much if you could rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. You can get detailed podcast recaps at teachingsciencein3d.com. And you can connect with us on Instagram at teachingscience underscore in 3D or on Facebook at teachingsciencein3D. We look forward to hearing from you. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner.